Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, we are right in the middle of the section on the armor of God. We'll begin reading from Ephesians 6, verse 10 through verse 18. This is God's holy word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our almighty God, we thank you father for you have given us that which is good. You have provided for us the full armor in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. And Father, we pray that we would not move on from it, that we would grow to treasure it all the more and depend upon it. We thank you, Father, for our true righteousness is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. We confess to you, Father, that we have no righteousness of our own. Father, we thank you that you willingly receive sinners clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have commanded us to receive it by faith. We pray that we might do so. Father, we pray that if any are here who have not trusted in Jesus Christ, we pray, Father, that you would turn hearts in repentance and faith, that we might embrace the good news of the gospel, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray, Father, that you might bless this time, that our Lord Jesus would be exalted, that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. In World War I, uh, the world war that uh, was centered around trench warfare. It was a static war. Uh, here, we, you imagine if you have ground level and you dig a hole or dig a trench uh, four or six feet into the, into the dirt, that uh, you would eventually hit some kind of a, a water level and water would accumulate there. So it was common for soldiers to have their feet wet 24 hours a day. Uh, they eventually developed something called trench foot, and the feet would swell, and they tried to come up with solutions to it, and eventually it led to amputations of feet. Uh, it was a horrible thing. And they initially thought, well, uh, we need to make the foot waterproof. So they used whale blubber, and they, they gave out little cans, little tins of whale blubber, and told the soldiers, rub it all over your feet, and it'll make your foot waterproof. And in fact, that actually made it worse. They found out the solution was very simple. They had to go around and do foot inspections. They had to issue extra socks. And once or twice a day, 
It was required that a soldier take off his shoes, take off his feet, and his feet had to dry. That was actually killing the bacteria off. So the feet had to dry. Having the feet covered then and, and wet was bad. So you think about how important it is for a soldier. If, he was, if his feet uh, developed some kind of gangrenous uh, infection, he was out of the fight. He was no longer able to fight. Here we think about what the Apostle Paul has told us regarding the armor of God. In verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You think about how a soldier, if he cannot stand, he cannot fight. If he cannot stand, he cannot march. He cannot conquer. How important it is then, the gospel of peace for your life. I'm going to give you a hint and a warning. We as Christians never move on from the gospel. When you go to maturity, it's not that you find you need the gospel less. It's fine that you need the gospel far, far more. In fact, your need of the gospel doesn't change. Your need of the gospel has always been the same. It's your perceived need for the gospel. And how quickly you go, how quickly you stop making excuses and, look, and looking for alternatives, but how fast you run back to that gospel and find true hope of forgiveness and your identity, your purpose your desire, your love. Here, we think about how the Apostle Paul is, is wrapping up this book, this book of Ephesians. And he presents our Lord Jesus Christ. He presents him as the glorious Savior of his bride, the church. And he speaks about these relationships, redeeming relationships in various areas. He thinks he speaks about how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all active in your salvation, doing the mighty work, that there was a role that each person of the Trinity played. The, the Father set the plan. He predestined some to eternal life. The, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes to redeem. He comes to transform the lives, transform the hearts. He, he is the one who gives new life to dead sinners so that we who are dead in trespasses and sins might have our eyes open, our, our ears open, our hearts uh, softened so that we might embrace the promises of the gospel, that we might come to see our own need. Wow, it's not just that Jesus is a savior. He is my savior because I have a need for Jesus Christ. He also sends his son the Lord Jesus, that by his blood we might be redeemed, that we might be washed clean by his blood. Here, what we see in this passage, Ephesians six fifteen, like military footwear, the gospel of Jesus Christ readies you with protection, stability, and mobility in your spiritual battle. Like military footwear, the gospel of Jesus Christ readies you with protection, stability, and mobility in your spiritual battle. Here we have three points. The gospel footwear grants you protection. Second, the gospel footwear grants you stability. And third, the gospel footwear grants you mobility. So the first point, the gospel footwear grants you protection. Here we think about how the apostle Paul is wrapping up his letter. And if you've understood it correctly, you have uh, the first half, Ephesians 1 through 3, what you are to believe concerning God. And then Ephesians 4 through 6, you have what duty God requires of you. So we ought to believe the right things, what God has revealed about himself, 
uh, what God has revealed about us. And then verse Ephesians 4 through 6, these three chapters uh, discuss what God requires of you. How then ought we to live knowing what we know about God, what he's revealed about himself? If you are believing God at his word and you are obeying his commandments, then you will be and are under attack. This attack will come in all kinds of areas. This is spiritual attack. If you are in a situation in which you are oblivious to the spiritual battle going on, uh, even in your own heart, then you are in grave danger. There is a spiritual battle. For us not to see it, not to acknowledge it, means that we will not be successful in it. Here we think about this whole armor. This whole armor is necessary. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, he repeats that again in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So when we think about these two verses, verse 11 and verse 13, you have the that, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So if you are not putting on the whole armor, it means that you will not survive. You will be slain. You will be a tragedy of the spiritual warfare. Here, we think about the very principle of standing firm. So uh, you won't stand firm unless you have the whole armor of God. That you might say, no, listen, I, there are certain things I, I need this, this, and this, and, and I don't need that. No, we need all of it. God says we need all of it. First, there was the belt of truth. This is the first, first article of armor that one puts on. So you have your tunic uh, or you know, your toga, what, whatever you wear. Right? You put on this belt of truth that it holds everything together. It, it gets the clothing out of your way. That we must acknowledge that God is absolute truth. And everything about him is true. That there is no lie in God. If there was a lie in God, he would cease to exist. If, if one part of his word were in question, then the whole is in question. That the word of God, uh, or the Bible, does not contain the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. There's a huge difference between that. There were all kinds of people who talked about how, hey, listen, hey, if, as I read a passage of scripture, some might say, hey, listen for the word of God. Instead of listen to the word of God. You see the difference? For those who think, oh, the Bible uh, contains uh, the word of God and it contains other things that are, so you have to listen for it. No, you listen to the word of God. These little subtleties are dangerous. Second was to put on the breastplate of righteousness. <clears throat> the first part of the breastplate of righteousness is the admission Without a breastplate of righteousness, I only have this rotting flesh, and it's dangerous. So the admission, I have no righteousness of my own. You have no righteousness of your own. What you need is the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that comes to you by faith apart from works. You can't earn it. We can't do anything to earn it. You must receive it by faith. And having that breastplate, there's also the matter that... Uh, there are many who claim, hey, listen, I, I, I prayed the prayer, asked Jesus in my heart 30 years ago. So now, uh, well, what are you doing now with your life? Well, I, I am living however I, however I choose, however I please. Well, wait a minute. 
So, so you think that you're saved because you prayed some prayer 30 years ago? When was the last time you opened the Bible? 30 years ago? When was the last time you darkened the door of a church? 30 years ago? Well, well wait a minute. I, I think this is, this is not the salvation that the Lord is talking about. Right? So, so then the breastplate of righteousness, yes, we have it. But he who is justified by faith in Christ is also being sanctified. That there is a submission in our hearts to Jesus Christ. This is the evidence of our salvation. It's not the way to earn it. It's the evidence that we are saved. And today here we talk about as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Here, there is a tendency for us to underestimate the value of military footwear. That the breastplate, the helmet, the shield, and the sword, hey, we see all those as important, but you know, hey, I, I'm not getting you regarding this, this uh, gospel footwear thing. Here, we ought to understand that throughout history, throughout history, throughout military history, soldiers marched. Troop movements were essential uh, for victory. Here we think through some of these things. I'll expand on them later when we get to mobility. Uh, but uh, how important the feet were. That uh, there were generals who were specifically concerned. You think about some of the letters that they wrote. They were concerned about uh, the soldiers having proper footwear. Alexander the Great, who died in his early 30s, that this man, this conqueror, one of, one of his abilities was that his soldiers could cover uh, great distances in short periods. Same also for these Roman soldiers. And you think about how uh, if a soldier had a wounded foot, or even, even just a painful blister, he's, he's in trouble. He's not going to be able to, he's not going to be able to march. And a soldier that can't march can't go and conquer. Here, when you think about the Romans, uh, the Roman soldiers, they had this type of sandal uh, called the caligae. Uh, and for the Roman soldiers, they had an allotment of three pairs of caligae per year because their pattern was that they would, in the morning, they would get up, they eat breakfast, and then they would take down their camp. So everything that they had, they, they moved as a giant unit. They would take down, including the fence posts. So the soldier carried all his gear and also some common gear used to make this camp. And they would march you know, anywhere 15, 18, 20 miles. And then at the end of the day, before sunset, they would set up this camp, they would eat dinner, and they repeat the thing the next day. And their, their shoes then would start to wear down. So three, three pairs of these uh, caligae per year, that they were thick, much thicker than that you would think they'd need to be. They're three quarters to uh, an inch thick, three layers of leather, uh, and metric, it's two to two and a half centimeters thick. You think, well, why do they need such a thick sole? It seems to be heavy. So you're right, it would be heavy. But they understood that if a soldier's foot were injured, he's done. He's out of the fight. So enemy soldiers, if there's the battlefield, they would put spikes, uh, wooden spikes, uh, metal spikes, in the, just under the dirt layer. So that if they stood on their dirt, boom, they'd poke a hole in their foot. And with that, the soldier was done. 
If he, if he fell down, he would cause a, a traffic jam in his, in his own little phalanx or whatever you call it. Uh, and here we, you think about how infection sets in, walking through all kinds of muck. Uh, the soldier was done. He probably would lose a foot or a leg. He's at least out of the fight. Here, the three layers were important. Imagine the soldiers advancing as they're fighting and weapons are, are, are being damaged. You think about how weapons can be broken, shield, shield, shields can be broken, and there's bits of sharp metal and sharp wood on the ground. They need the sandals to protect their feet. Here, this footwear was analogous to the gospel of peace that protects your life, your very soul. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that which grants you peace with God. Here we, we think about how it's the blood of Christ that, uh, that washes us clean. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. That being justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that you have peace? You have peace with God through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.14 For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That Christ is your peace. That having peace with God, the gospel protects you from the attacks of Satan. You think about what happened to Satan. Lucifer, he was the first or the, the highest angel, and he fell from grace because of his pride. And he brought a number of angels with him. These are, these are the demons. And his primary temptation for all of us is that he would tempt us by pride. So when you think about 1 John 2, uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. Okay, those three things. Those are the three weapons Satan's going to use. He's going to tempt you with uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Well, you think about how pride is the center of all three of them. Man rejects God's authority out of pride. Man disobeys God out of pride by saying, God, I know better what is good for my soul. And your word is not light, it is darkness. This is what we're saying when we disobey. Our Lord Jesus is the one who did the perfect work when he died on the cross on behalf of sinners. He died a substitutionary death. He died in the place of his people. He died to set you free from the bondage to sin and death. He sets men free from the snare of Satan. So this is how Christ grants you peace with God. He grants you this protection. Here, the gospel must not be some remote truth that you refer to a few times a year. The gospel must be the truth that you refer to constantly throughout the day. Even as you're bombarded by all kinds of temptations, all kinds of attacks. It is your source of protection. It is your source of encouragement. Here, I don't know if you ever watched any one of these shows, uh, these competition shows, right? Where American Idol, uh, uh, 
Britain's Got Talent or whatever. You, you have these judges and they, they make some, uh, you're, you're out or you're in, this is great. And you think about how, how people are literally broken. They, they, they start breaking down in tears crying, right? Because accusations or criticisms come from all angles. People are made or they're broken by what others say about them. People in this world are devastated when criticisms come their way. How is the gospel of peace your protection? Here you realize that Satan will attack, of all people, God's people, the hardest, the most. Very simple message. Even as, say, you have a boss who is cruel, who has it out to get you, whatever is the case, he wants to destroy you. His rebukes will be harsh. But here, what you have to understand is your identity is not in your work. Your identity is not in your promotion. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus thinks of you should make all the difference in your life. It's not what that college thinks, they rejected you. It's not what your boss thinks. Uh, it's not what your former boyfriend or former girlfriend thinks of you. Hey, this, this has to do with what Jesus has declared about you. This is our protection. Satan will attack you. Hey, you know what, you're worthless. Uh, hey, you know what? You're, you're forsaken. God has given up on you. This is why you have so many troubles in your life. The gospel of peace is that which protects you in your life. And you must constantly go back to it. Who am I in Christ? It doesn't matter what the world has said about me. It matters, especially on that last day when you face uh, the great throne of judgment. What Jesus speaks about you, that is the only opinion that will matter. And it doesn't matter how many are accusing when that one person, Jesus Christ, the judge, what he says about you. If he says, forgiven, righteous, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Here, this is the first point. The gospel footwear grants you protection. We have also the gospel footwear grants you stability. So we go back to the image uh, of the Roman sandal, the caligae. Besides protection, having that thick sole, the caligae was studded with metal uh, hobnails. So the, the Romans figured out, hey, if you just have this slick bottom uh, leather sole, it's not going to work. Whether you're standing on a slope, standing in mud, standing in dirt, uh, if, if you're going to fight, you need to have traction and stability. So they put in these hobnails. In fact, you look at... Uh, there are cities that were covered by rubble, and they have some very good uh, uh, models of what the Romans used for shoes, because there were towns that were covered, and they actually had storehouses, so they could see these shoes. They, they have the exact thing. Yeah, well, thousands of years later, but here they, they saw that this wasn't something that they slapped together, that the Roman shoemakers uh, were highly valued as craftsmen. If you're on slippery terrain, the hobnail Roman caligae was that which would give you traction and stability. I don't know if you thought about this. A soldier who has no traction uh, or who has an injured foot, he can pull a trigger, but he cannot wield a sword. Because you think about the sword, the sword was heavy to throw you off of balance. If you're standing on slick mud and you, th and you try to wield your sword, you would fall over. 
you would slip and fall. And if you slipped and fell, then uh, one arm holding the shield, the other arm holding the sword, you can't get up unless you put one of them down. You see how falling down would be a very bad thing. Here we, we think about how the gospel of Jesus Christ is that which gives you peace within. So the gospel gives you peace with God. So this vertical peace. Having that vertical peace, it gives you stability because then you have peace within. Have you ever met people where they're like, uh, you remember in uh, Peanuts, uh, Charlie Brown, the, the guy named Pigpen, where he, he's moving, and in the comic he has like this mass of dirt, right? This, uh, of, he, he was a dirty guy, and there's this mass of dirt just following him around. Well, for some people, uh, it's not the dirt. The dirt's not so bad, but, but there's like a conflict and battles and, and all kinds of, of uh, people harmed, and there's tragedy all around them because everywhere they go, it's like they're lighting fires and throwing punches and cutting with sword thrusts. And, and you ask, well, what, why? Why is this the case? Well, what, what is up with this her or, or him? Well, it's... No, no peace within, right? There's no peace with God, so then there's, there's no peace within, and, and the result is there's no peace without. And, and here we, we look at our lives. It's like, is, is that what you have? Are, is there conflict all around you? And we have to ask ourselves, well, what about your peace with God? Uh, you look back to, okay, what's the foundation? Peace with God. Then, since I have peace with God, then I may have peace within, and then having peace within, then I can bring this good news of the gospel. And, and then it's not everyone else's fault because I'm a sinner. Then I need to ask, well, do I have peace within? Here we, we think about this peace within. The reason why men don't have peace within is because they have this, this uh, fear of God's judgment coming. In Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Why are men fearful of death? Men are fearful of death because they're fearful of God who is judge. Death brings them into contact with God who is judge. Peace of conscience then comes with a life that is steeped in the gospel. Jesus said to his disciples when he was about to leave, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Let it not be fearful. Christ gives you his peace. And we ask, well, well, wait a minute, Jesus, does he really give me his peace? Well, what did he say? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He didn't say, hey, I'll, I will give it to you at some point. I will give you a little bit of it. He says, my peace I give to you. So you can have peace, even before heaven, even before heaven. Here we think about what, what does the lack of peace look like? Think back to Genesis the, the ending of Genesis, you think about how Joseph was the last, I don't know, uh, 12, 13, 14 chapters of the book of Genesis. 
and Joseph was a major, major figure in, in that part. Joseph's brothers hated him. He was the favored son, coming from the favored wife, Rachel. And Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And uh, by God's providence, Joseph advanced. The Lord blessed everything that he touched. And that he became Egypt's prime minister. Then uh, there was famine in other parts of the world. So, so Jacob tells his sons, stop staring at your navels. Go, go, go buy us some food in, in Egypt. They're there, and Joseph recognizes his brothers. And he throws them into, throws them into prison in, in Egypt, makes things difficult. And what were they thinking? They actually said, hey, this is God's judgment upon us because of what we did to our brother. Meaning that you think that they sold him off into slavery, they told the lies to their father, hey, this is his cloak, is covered with goat's blood. Hey, is that Joseph? Hey, it is Joseph. And they watched their father weep over his son's imaginary death. You think about these men. It's not as if they just walked away scot-free. They, they didn't commit that crime. They didn't commit that sin, and they were just, oh, done with it. It ate away at them. They're sitting in prison saying, this is God's judgment upon us. No peace of conscience. It's as if they, they hadn't dealt with that sin yet. They hadn't confessed it to God. They hadn't spoken to their brothers, listen, we have sinned against our brother. Father, Father Jacob, we lied to you. He's actually alive. We don't know where he is. We need to go find him. Well, God brings them into contact with them. How about that? How can you free yourself from the guilt and shame of your past and present sins? It's only by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're always thinking, hey, this is God coming after me for this particular sin, then I'm thinking that you have not dealt with that sin in your own heart. If you've dealt with it, you'd be able to say, these are consequences for that sin. But since you've repented, you've forsaken it, then you can say, whatever comes from God by his providential hand is coming from a just and loving father to deal, to clean me of that sin. If you haven't dealt with it, then there's this feeling of angst. Oh no, God's coming to bring judgment upon me. Here, this is very matter also of knowing your place before God, you may find your true identity in him and not in other things. Through the gospel, you are now beloved children of God and co-heirs with Christ. This is something that we have difficulty understanding. It's God uh, going to the capital criminals and saying, those of you who have rebelled against the king, I'm not going to condemn you. In fact, I'm going to forgive all of your crimes. They are forgotten, canceled. Debts are canceled. Oh, and by the way, my son and his merits, his riches I will freely share with you. And perhaps it takes some time for you to wrap your mind around what God has done for you in Christ. Here, we think about how you are co-heirs with Christ. Meaning that, hey, uh, what has Christ done? His perfect merits? His riches in heaven? He says, hey, I'm, I'm going to share it with all the people. 
for whom he came to die. And we ask, are any of us worthy to receive this gift of our Lord? And if any of you are saying, I'm I'm worthy, then you've only identified your own, own unworthiness. We must come realizing Christ willingly shares his wealth, his riches with you. And it's not because of anything we've done to earn it. Here, we think about what this does to change our understanding. Everything about us, everything around us. It means that you should not be defined by your job. Whatever job you have here on earth, it's not going to be the same in heaven. You won't have it. Your marriage, well, there's no marriage in heaven anymore. Your possessions, you're going to leave every single one of them behind, except, except the ones you store in heaven, right? The, the eternal ones. Your accomplishments, they're going to be forgotten. No one's going to say, oh, man, if only I got, instead of a 3.7, I got a 3.8 GPA. No one's going to care about that. No one's going to remember it. What about your reputation here? Whatever evil men and women have said about you because you are a follower of Christ, none of those things will be repeated. None of them will be remembered. Man's approval, whether or not you got it or not in this life, it doesn't matter. Peace within is of utmost importance. When God begins to strip away the pleasantries in your life. Here, you think about any relationship. Do we, do we love God because of the good he brings into our life? Hey, God, just keep the goods coming and I'll, I'll keep worshiping you. Or are we saying, wait a minute, God, you, you yourself, you're my treasure. All of these things can be stripped away. Don't, don't you think God wants to know that he is the one that you treasure? And he does that by starting to take away some of these things. He doesn't, I mean, obviously we, we need food. We need money to get by in this world. Uh, but he, he starts slowly, uh, you know, a, a blip of, of loss. And, and, and how do we respond to that? Here, we read earlier in Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? When you're fearful, are, are you going to the Lord Jesus? Is he your comfort? Is he your protection? God's goal is to examine you and your motives for loyalty. Will you still love him if blessings are gone? Or as, was it the temptations? He's saying, will you still love me tomorrow? Eh? You know, are we still going to love the Lord tomorrow when, when uh, you know, the, 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 the wealth uh, sprouts wing and fly, fly away? When there's uh, instability all around us, will there be stability in your heart and in mine? Here, the Christian life is not for the weak or the faint of heart. Uh, Satan likes to step in there and say, hey, you deserve to be pampered. And, and in the Christian life, you can be pampered. And ho- hopefully you realize that that pampered life is that life that leads to death. This is not what Christ has called you to. He's called you to spiritual warfare. He, called, he has called you to suffer on behalf of his name. This is what the scriptures tell us. And somehow it's a surprise to us when it comes our way. But that's the wake-up call. It shouldn't be. 
Here, we think also about stability. Think about the stability that the gospel brings. It's a reminder to us that we don't major in the minors. We major in the majors. Satan brings in all kinds of these hobby horses to distract us from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. We're not to be blown around by uh, winds of doctrine, the trickery of men, of craftiness and deceitful scheming. We're supposed to see through those things and say, no, wait a minute, my focus is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All kinds of people in the church will raise this matter. Hey, you believe this. That's a gospel issue. Well, how many things are really gospel issues? Some of them could be, right? But hey, you you believe this about that. And, you know, in the church, can we have disagreements on, on peripheral matters? Certainly. We have to keep the center thing center, the gospel things as gospel. We should be able to see that there, there should be diversity in the church, in opinions. Certain people can hold opinions about this and that and, and whatnot and, and diet and, and health or whatever you talk about, right? We ought not to create distinctions when there should not be. Here, God has given us the tool of prayer and the gospel of peace. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here he's given you the gospel of peace, so you may have peace within. He's also given you the tool of prayer. And if you feel like you're lacking peace, we can go to him. He grants us his peace. So that's the second point. Gospel footwear grants you stability. We also have the gospel footwear grants you mobility. And we go back to the Roman sandal, the caligae. Besides traction or protection, besides protection and stability, the Roman sandal also enabled the soldier to move, enabled him to march. Here we think about the essential role of mobility that uh, Alexander the Great, supposedly his enemies, would have scouts and they would say, oh, well, Alexander and his men, they're this many miles away. So we calculate that would take him uh, two days. Uh, or maybe three days to get to us. So they're busy preparing, and then bam! Alexander and his army, they're at this, this city's doorstep in a day. They're like, huh, we were not ready. Well, then, hey, defeat. That's what you have. Same with these Roman armies, eight, 18 miles a day, carrying, what was it, 40 or 60 pounds worth of gear. That's, that's quite a lot. Uh, there weren't heavy soldiers back then. They, they were called skinny, they called them skinny cats, right? Whatever... Uh, stuff you, you extra, extra weight you had on your body, <laughs> you burned it off. Okay. This was true even in the Civil War. You, you look at uh, General Thomas Jackson, the Shenandoah Valley Campaign. Uh, there, there, were, there were soldiers known as cavalry. They were riding on horses. And uh, uh, General Jackson's troops, they were nicknamed the Foot Cavalry. Oh, what, why did they, what are they called that? Uh, they were known to march 30 miles at night. So, uh, General Jackson, he had, some, he had some strange views where he would ride into battle. It was, it was his left hand. You know, he would hold it at a certain angle, right? He'd ride at a certain angle. But he had this thing, hey, uh, we, we need to get somewhere fast. And during the night, he would have them march 50 minutes. And then he would tell his troops, okay, we march 50 minutes. And then all of you 
take off your packs and lie down for 10 minutes, take a power nap. And then he'd get them up and in 50 minutes again. And for quite some time, the, the union leadership, they, they did not know where, where he was, where his army was. And that led to quite a lot of problems. But here, the troops understood, hey, uh, they were willing to do it. They said, hey, for, to give up sweat or fat instead of blood, it, it, it makes sense. They, they, they were willing to do it. Here, you think about mobility, how important that is for an army. If an army can't move, they can't conquer. And we see also the broader role of this gospel of peace. The gospel of peace brings you peace with God. It brings you peace within. And here we see also that having peace within, then the gospel can also bring peace without, meaning peace around you. You see some of that even in... The, uh, the end of, of Ephesians 5, the beginning of Ephesians 6, about relationships, how the gospel brings peace in each of these relationships. Here, Satan's goal is uh, to harm and to distract you in such a way that you're pestered and that you have no thought or energy uh, left to think about anyone else but yourself. In fact, uh, his desire is that you have no time or energy or brain power left to think about the Great Commission. He wants you to focus on looking at your nose, so long as you're focused on looking on your nose or, or your navel. Then he's saying, then he has no mobility. He's not, he's not a threat to the kingdom of God. Satan wants to grip you with fear, with anger, with doubt, with depression, with greed, with discord, with comfort, whatever it is. He's going to have you locked up in something such that you can't think about, well, what about the man who lives next door to me? Where is his soul? Where, where will he go when he dies? He doesn't want you to think about that because that's, that's kingdom work. This is, this is kingdom thinking. And the last thing he would want you to do would be someone who thinks about advancing the kingdom of God. Here. This whole strategy that Satan has is not only for individuals, it's for families, it's for marriages, it's for congregation, it's for denominations. Entire churches can be locked up fighting it out, whatever issue it is, rather than looking outside. Here I ask you, are you at this point, are you derailed from thinking about the good news of the gospel? And how it might be a blessing to others. Because you're unable to see past your own nose. Unable to see past your own desires. Your own goals. Your own reputation. This is a dangerous thing. Here we think about uh, the model for Christian maturity. You never move beyond or graduate from the gospel message. In fact... Uh, you only come to appreciate of it more and more and love it more and more. If you've moved on from the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've moved on from our Lord. He's left the room. This is a dangerous thing. It is essential for your Christian growth that you begin to think and to pray and to labor for the salvation of others. And that's essential for your Christian growth. If you're not thinking about the Great Commission, then there's, some, there's going to be something lacking in your Christian maturity. 
There ought to be someone you're praying for. Someone you're trying to witness to. We ought to be thinking that the kingdom of God is far greater than you and me. Here, it's understanding what Christ came to do. What do you see as man's greatest need? Do you see it as uh, he's, he's poor and he needs food? Is it that he's ignorant and he needs free education? Well, whatever's the case, the scriptures tell us that man's greatest need is not material, it's not educational. Man's greatest need is that he's at enmity with God. That the man is first a, a soul. He's not a body, he's a soul. He, he's, he's a spiritual being. And, and here, you can understand, oftentimes it's when things in his soul go wrong that it affects his, his body and his activities. Because he's at enmity with God, it affects his life. Do you, you ever think that, that it's not starting with depression, but it's because of the no peace with God, no peace within, that depression is the result? It, it's the manifestation of of the spiritual realities. Here we, we think about what the gospel offers to us. Oftentimes we, we think about how trying to get secular people to think about spiritual things. It's hard to do. They don't think that way. They don't, they don't see, oh, man, man is a soul. No, man, man is a body. You see, man is a body and he has these chemicals. That's all he is. And when he dies, uh, it's the brain waves stop. The, the heart stops beating, the lungs stop breathing, and that's all we got. And then once you're dead, you're dead. You're, you're like that block of wood over there. But that's not what the Lord tells us. The Lord tells us that there is a soul, and that soul will spend eternity somewhere, whether in heaven or in hell. Here. We think about the good news of Jesus Christ, that our Lord Jesus is the one who reconciles us. Think also about adaptability. Part of mobility is that an army needs to be able to move. They need to be able to adapt to a terrain, certain terrain. If, if, a, if an army only thinks about fighting on flat ground, uh, and then they're suddenly on a hill, then they're in trouble. They have to learn to train in those conditions. So also a Christian and a church must be able to adapt. That the statement, but this is the way we've always done it. You realize that how many people have uh, gone the way of the dodo bird because this is the way we've always done it and we will continue to do it that way until Jesus returns. Think for a simple example. After World War I, uh, trench warfare, static warfare, digging yourself in, General Charles de Gaulle had warned the French leaders. He said, this next war won't be the same. It will be a war of mobility. There will be tanks. There will be movement, troop movements. And uh, here... The French leaders laughed at him, blew him off. And then you look at how long did it take for Germany to invade and conquer France. I think it was a matter of, of like a few weeks and they were done. Because they didn't see the importance of adaptability. 
things change. So also, you as a Christian, right, if we always, hey, that's, I've never been used to doing that. Well, it requires that you and I change. That part of Christian growth is conformity to the image of Christ. And there's a requirement that you and I be willing to change. That there's certain things that the Lord calls us to. He calls us to maturity. It means we have to give up childish ways. Here we think about how this gospel footwear, this shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, how this should affect us in our daily lives. First, it will cause you to give thanks. You ought to overflow with gratitude because Jesus is your peace. And because he is your peace, then he will be peace with for others too. Here, we think about how oftentimes we get into this mode of doom and gloom pessimism. This is not permissible for you as a Christian to wallow in this doom and gloom pessimism. There's hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we ought to consider a few questions to help get us out of the doom and gloom pessimism mentality. Consider yourself. Do you consider yourself to be so bad and in dire need of a savior? If you do, then it means that our Lord Jesus can save not just the very best, he saves even the very worst. Scriptures are full of these examples. Do you believe that God's power is to save even the worst of sinners? Yes, we believe that. Do you believe that God is still calling sinners to faith and repentance? Then we must be ready and eager to bring this peace to others. We must be ready to bear witness of this good news to others. You realize that the Lord is the one who has commanded us to do it. Tell others about this hope that you have in Jesus Christ, this gospel of peace. May it be your good news, and may you trust that it will be good news to others as well. Let me go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, that you have given us the very best, that you've given us of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for maturity in us, your people, that we would not move on from the gospel, but that we would come to treasure it and to delight in it all the more and see its relevance for every sphere of our lives. Father, we thank you that you're the one who grants us peace with you so that we might have peace within and that we might have peace with others. Thank you for your provision for us in your son, that he himself is our peace. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat>